Impact Lab, connecting social entrepreneurs, nonprofit professionals, tech innovators, and activists with ideas and tools that enable their organizations to make the strongest possible impact. Today's guest is Allison McNeil. Allison is the founder and chief creative officer of McNeil Creative Enterprises, an arts innovation firm based in the DC area dedicated to the increased visibility and growth of arts and culture. Thank you for joining us. This is your host, Lynette Zimmerman, broadcasting from Philadelphia. Today's podcast is powered by Impact Tap, sharing social good through new media. Find out more at theimpacttap.com. Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Lynette. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate the invitation to chat. As our listeners heard in the introduction, you are the founder and president of McNeil Creative Enterprises, uh, MCE for short. Now, to kick things off, can you talk a little bit about what the firm does and the path that led you to become a strategist for arts organizations? Sure, sure. You know, that's a really fascinating question, Lynette, and one that took me a while to come to as far as how I wanted to develop my company and, you know, what my intention was behind the development of my company. When I thought about my background, um, both in the arts and in education, I really centered in on what those areas were that um, I enjoyed doing um, and what I, you know, where I felt like I had the most benefit and could make the most impact. So MCE um, found its Uh, practice areas in three categories, strategy, promotion, and philanthropy. Those three areas reflect different aspects of my professional career, both in education and in uh, the performing arts. So um, I want to say I started working behind the scenes about 15 years ago um, and, you know, uh, mostly serving in grant making roles, professional development roles, um, and working with dance organizations. Um, ultimately, I, I guess one of the last arts organizations that I worked for, um, the Association of Performing Arts Professionals, um, is a service organization that literally serves different aspects of the performing arts presenting field. And it was there that I got a really clear landscape on the different sectors of the field and got a little bit clearer on where I fit, um, starting as an artist. I had no idea that any of this ever existed. Um, and one of the, I guess, desires of MCE is to help others realize that these other sectors exist and how their art um, supports those sectors. Um, so I use the tagline, creating roadmaps, remo- creating roadmaps, removing roadblocks as my motto, because it's essentially what I intend to do in those three areas, through strategy, through promotion, and philanthropy. So that's giving money, identifying new models for funding, um, raising visibility of arts and arts and cultural organizations, and then offering strategy and operational support to help them operate effectively and efficiently. So you nail all of the core components of what every arts (laughs) organization needs. (laughs) Well, you know, I figure... There are so many different ways to think about this work. And I find I know so many artists that are incredible with creating their art. And then there are these other elements that also are effective to running an organization that oftentimes 
are done, but that's not where their their passion lies. So uh, I am an analytical person by nature, um, and I find myself um, doing this naturally. So I was like, well, you know, let me kind of see how I might do this in a more formal way. Yeah, I, I can follow your train of thought here very easily. I have extensive experience working in the arts myself, primarily as a fundraiser, uh, but also in organizational restructuring and communications. And I'm sure you've experienced uh, this as well, but there are these common challenges that arts organizations experience. Uh, in mm-hmm. your opinion, what are those challenges facing these organizations every day? Oh, wow. That's such a loaded question, right? I mean, I think there's general experiences and uh, and challenges of nonprofit arts organizations. And then I can think about more specifically the clients that somehow find their way into my orbit orbit, uh, and and I work with them directly. And I would say that um, big, big dreams and visions for where they'd like to be um, as like a goal and then where they actually are. Um, and the disconnect between how to get from point A to point B. Um, so that is, what is the roadmap that'll get me from where I am to where I'd like to be? Um, funding is always a challenge for arts nonprofits. Um, how do I, and again, that relates to the overall point that I just made. How do I find people that are interested in supporting my art? Um, how, and then this other notion of identity. How do I tell my story so that it speaks specifically to the intention behind my work and somehow is accessible to an audience or a presenter or someone that might be interested in engaging in the work that I do. Um, And equity, you know, I can't speak about uh, the work that I do without being very vocal about equity serving as a lens through which I work, Um, just because in the nature of uh, the arts community there, there's an ongoing, especially now, and I find that there are way more initiatives now popping up that are focusing on creating an equitable platform um, for the varied uh, types of arts organizations. So you've mentioned a few challenges, sort of overarching challenges, funding, organizational identity, and equity. Can you give us an example of a project that you've worked on that would really um, sort of dive into the weeds for a minute here? Oh, identity. I'll, I'll talk about that one, right? Because oftentimes, and I, I don't know that I mentioned this, but one of the clients that I work with is a uh, uh, educational, I guess, a, I, how would they describe themselves? They are an organization that trains arts and cultural leaders across the country. And so I help design course syllabi and um, deliver instruction on some of the core concepts in the programs that they deliver. Um, and one of those things that we talk about um, is identity. Who are you as an organization or as an artist? And how do you make decisions based on how clear your identity is? Um, in some cases, identity is directly related to your mission. In other cases, it's uh, the way you talk about your why and your intention. But all of it um, informs the people that you work with, maybe, hopefully, <laughs> the people, the projects that you take on, the ways you the ways you navigate your work, um, where you end up showcasing your art. Um, that is, if you're very clear on who you are, why you are, and where you want to be, then it becomes a little easier to talk about your goals and how you hope to achieve them. You might not know exactly how to get there, but if you're clear on that part, your identity, then it's easier at least to find what the roadmap might look like. And I find that in some cases, 
there is a struggle between, well, this is what I feel like makes sense for the work that I'm doing, but I don't know that that's accessible. So let me morph into something that makes sense for maybe a particular audience, and then that will help them come to my shows. Versus I think that if you're really clear on who you are and why you are, then the people that are naturally going to come to your shows or come to your performances or be a part of your programming will naturally come because they'll also identify with that clear definition of who you are. Does that make sense? It does. It actually brings to mind uh, an issue that I've experienced with a few different clients, and that's with um, the aging of an institution. So there's these different life cycle points, right? There's mm-hmm. Even for people, as, as humans, there's different uh, points in your life where you have sort of this identity crisis. And I find that to be the same with um, some institutions. So this is a challenge that will reoccur, essentially. So yeah. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that with, with an institution like one of your clients, but if you have, could you talk a little bit about how these challenges may, um, may come about more often than not in, in different forms? Well, I think what you just said is a perfect example for an organization that I worked with where they were trying to, they were trying to figure out if and how they might shift the way they thought their work, the the way they thought they were work, excuse me, they were trying to figure out how and if to shift how they were operating given the landscape with which they exist. So, you know, this notion of social media and the the use of technology, and um, there was a lot of um, shifting in the way that they operated. And part of their the way they got started was, you know, grassroots. Um, we build it uh, together and we don't necessarily tell our story. We just work within and the people that want to know about who we are, they just know. Um, but uh, with new leadership, they were, uh, I guess, encouraged or challenged to think outside the box about how they exist within the current landscape, not what not what it looked like when they started years ago, but where they are right now. So they have to rethink, okay, so does that mean we also need to rethink who, who we engage in our planning, how we think about our organization? Um, and it literally was really tough conversations about identity. And MCE's motto is transparency, compassion, and curiosity, because we believe in order to create change, you have to really be transparent about where you are right now. And so having those real frank conversations around identity right now versus, and and in their case, they felt like they were being left behind um, versus thinking about what they would need to do to shift, to be, um, to evolve, were critical to then create a roadmap for how we might get there. Ultimately, they uh, they decided, and you know, with a bit of um, conversations, um, okay, we recognize that if we want to go to B, we have to do this. Like if we want to, if we want to, you know, reach X, Y, and Z goal, then we have to at least attempt to do things differently. And they they saw the value in evolving um, and recognizing that their identity. Although it evolved, it doesn't necessarily shift who they are at their core. Those are really difficult questions to to have a, an organization answer themselves. So this is why the consultants are important <laughs> to engage, I think, and and uh, hopefully they will continue to work with you because it sounds like you've done some great work so far. So so keep going there. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's tough conversations. You know, like people don't necessarily want to air their dirty laundry all the time. Like they know that things might not be working um, and they don't necessarily want to quote unquote point the finger. And what I try to tell them, you know, this is my background as an evaluator too, is that none of none of what we're discussing is meant to judge anything. It really is to inform how we create the roadmap to get to the next phase. So it, so if you think about, so, you know, that's why I always talk about this notion of my motto, because if you think about it, like you can't create change unless you're compassionate about where you are right now. You can't get to where you are unless you ask those clarifying questions that are, you know, based in curiosity. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a, it's a notion of creating a, a space of comfort and vulnerability. Cause then you're like, Oh Yeah this is where we are and not judgment. Cause I'm not here to judge. Like, you know, people bring me on hopefully to help them think about where they can go, but to really understand that we can't really go anywhere if we're not completely transparent about where we are. Now, Allison, you mentioned earlier that you are an artist yourself, which I'm sure influences how you um, see the world. So I studied music performance uh, in my early days and have a undergraduate degree in, in a trombone performance and continue to perform oh! <laughs> something I yeah, love yeah. to do. And, and I play with wow. the, um, lower Marion symphony. I'm their principal trombonist there and, and enjoy it. Uh, you know, oh. it's my Wednesday nights. So a very exciting life. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> but, no, Lynette, I'm glad that you do that. I mean, it's so important to continue to cultivate art, your art, right? Because absolutely. it's very easy to kind of get lost in, you know, engaging with your clients and partners and just staying, you know, full with that. Um, I'm I'm really excited to hear that that you're still doing that. Well, I, I see it as it opens up this um, part of my mind that can become mm -hmm. closed off, you know, during the the day to day and the all of the strategy and the fundraising and positioning and performance. But then when I get on that stage and it's just a whole other um, part of my my mind and my soul that opens up and it allows me to be more creative and, and see the world differently and have great mm -hmm. ideas. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how, um, how the artist in you affects your work. You know, it's so funny <laughs> not to have a long winded answer, but you know, my parents put me into the arts when I was younger because I was incredibly shy like incredibly, like I didn't want to talk to anyone. And they were like, this is not going to happen. Like you need to be talking to people. And so they thought when they put me into the arts, it was literally, you're in this children's theater camp at Howard University for a few hours a day, and then you'll go and become, I don't know, something other than an artist. <laughs> uh, but what they didn't realize is the art performing arts bug hit me then at five um, and it stuck with me throughout throughout my entire career. Even when I didn't work professionally in the arts, when I worked in education, I was always performing um, in my downtime, taking classes, teaching classes. And the artist in me, like you said, really, um, really solidified the way, you know, the importance of the holistic approach to working with people and even engaging in engaging with people. I, unlike you, <laughs> for the longest had taken a break um, in cultivating my art as a dancer and a singer, um, and honestly, just recently revisited it um, in the last three months. And when I tell you it was primarily because my mentors, dancers in the dance community, 
started to transition and pass away, I, I don't know, it was like a light went off and I remembered there would be no arts administration work for me if I hadn't started with the dance. And when I'm not dancing, I feel stuck. Like I, it literally is a, a space of spirituality for me and, and music in the same regards, like listening to music more. I used to sing, definitely don't sing anymore, but you'll find me taking a dance class and sometimes dancing more. But literally I went to a mentor's funeral, uh, I guess it was in April. Um, and it's funny when you're around people that all know you as a dancer versus, you know, the work that you're doing behind the scenes, you're remembering, I did occupy that space at one time. So I'm, you're li- we're literally talking in the middle of, I guess, my, you know, my re-entry back into uh, making space for my art in my regular life again. And I have to say, it has literally opened me up in a way um, that it had been missing for a while, it created a whole new level of joy. So there's definitely um, value in continuing to connect with your art. I am so happy to hear you say that and wish you continued success in that space. It is, it is eye-opening, and if it can spur your creativity along the way, then keep going and keep finding that inspiration. Absolutely. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And, and, and when I talk to my parents now, they're like, we had no clue <laughs> <laughs> that the little children's theater camp, which literally not only did it cement my my love and joy and commitment to the art, but it also was the beginning of some lifelong friendships. Um, mm. And many of the people that I was in that program went in, they went in different worked in different direction different sectors of the field some performing artists some filmmakers some presenters like all different aspects of the field and some have become police officers others i mean that's what we talk about when we talk about the arts like the fact that it serves so many different purposes and i'm just thankful for it um, i think that's why i stay committed and passionate to it in the work that i do now so you, you made mention of some mentors, uh, some who have passed, and I, and I hope some that are still here with us today. Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me about these people that have guided you and influenced you throughout your life. Oh, wow. You know, I, I am so, such a proponent of mentorship um, and believe that the power of mentors, both as a mentee and as a mentor, can literally shift the way you show up in this world. Um, my mentors, um, specifically the one that just passed away, Elsie Nina Butts, was the artistic director of the Terpsichorean Dance Company. And I met her when I was in college, and she essentially became like my grandmother away from home. And she made sure that not only was I uh, doing what I needed to do on the dance floor and in our dance performances, but that I was taken care of holistically. I'm checking in to see how things were going in my coursework, in my, you know, professional endeavors. She was literally someone that was interested in my success. Um, She also didn't hold her tongue. So if you were not doing what, um, you know, doing what was needed in order for you to be successful, she also let you know that, too, in her kind, gentle way. She passed away at 80. And in those 80 years... Um, she touched so many, so many individuals, some that continued to work in the dance field, others that, you know, after they danced with her, never danced again. But there is not one person that met her 
that was not touched. Um, uh, another mentor, um, he reminds me to take space to be still, um, to be to sit in a space of gratitude for what's happened um, and all that happens along the journey and to enjoy it, right? Because we get so busy just, oh, I'm going to do this. I need to write a proposal for that and I'm going to this show and whatever. He just reminds me to to stay still and functional. I shouldn't say functional. <laughs> stay still and just present to enjoy the moment. And then another is like a like hardcore business numbers crunching okay, does this make financial sense? Okay, then don't do it. And I'm like, whoa, they're all, they serve so many different purposes. Um, um, and for the last one that I mentioned, he is literally the one that I go to when I'm thinking through, okay, my positioning, like the same sort of things that I end up working with art artists and arts organizations on, like positioning and strategy. He's a person that I bounce these ideas off of and he will be honest with me and also help me understand what lessons came from the decisions that may not have worked best uh, and or the way that I wanted to. But, you know, he always says that's the tuition you pay for that for that lesson. Like so if something doesn't work out well, he's like, well, how expensive was it? That lets you know how much money or how much, you know, mental capital to expend on it on the next time. And what did you learn? And I, it just they're so different in their scope. And then, of course, there's sector professionals. Um, evaluation or grant making, people that I talk to, um, they just all serve such different purposes. But ultimately, all of them remind me to live my best self, to be present, to not compare myself to others, and just remember my why. Like, why am I doing this work? And I think that's why that's so heavily embedded in the way I approach um, the work of MCE. You have some incredible mentors. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, that's why when I went to the funeral, I was like, I have to dance again. You do. I can't let Mrs. Butts dance. Every week. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, one last question here, and it's a fairly large question, so take uh, take your time with it and explore it how you wish. But I'm interested to know from you what trends you're seeing in our world, in this world of arts and culture that you find incredibly exciting. You know, art has always been a powerful tool um, to tell the stories of what's really happening um, in communities around the world. Um, it's been a tool for change, a tool for healing, um, and it's just a feel-good uh, space. And I find that um, my awareness and connection to art as a tool for social change has heightened more in the last, probably, I mean, it's always been, right? But my connection to it in a way that is meaningful, in a way that's receiving funding, in a way that's being talked about, um, has increased in the last probably 15 years. Um, it's been exciting to watch, and as organizations speak more openly about their commitment to equity, these same artists and arts organizations who've always been connected to the work and committed to the work are now receiving visibility that they may not have been um, having in the past and are now sitting at the proverbial table <laughs> to offer their perspectives that are often left out of funding um, conversations. And that and that in and of itself is exciting. Um, and it's something that I, I feel like I'm seeing more and more often. Um, also, um, art, co- you know, art coming to where people are versus the people expected to go to the art spaces. 
Um, it's something that I know that's been happening for a while in the DMV area where I live, DC, Maryland, and Virginia. I've just been really encouraged by how creative um, spaces are getting with um, art programming um, and how you might have art artists arts participatory uh, activities just in a square or in a park. And it's like, wow, that is really awesome. Or just pieces that are popping up in downtown Alexandria or Arlington, where I live, that ultimately become think pieces that now have people that didn't talk to each other at all, now talking on the side of the street because they both were glued to this piece of art. Um, funding, hopefully, is shifting, you know, new models for what it means like to fund the arts. So you have the traditional, you know, platforms, government agencies, arts councils, private foundations, family foundations, corporate philanthropy, but then giving circles coming up where people are actually investing in the change that they want to see. I uh, co-founded a giving circle um, with a colleague and we literally invest in artists who raise awareness around social change issues. And that was something that I have, I don't even know that I heard about people doing um, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Not that they didn't happen, but I'm hearing more and more about giving circles as a model, as a new model for philanthropy, where people are literally taking their money and investing and tooling, tooling, pooling their money together to invest in the people and the artists that they're interested in. Um, so those might be a few examples. Oh, those are great examples. It's you just blow my mind as you continue to talk. So I wish we had more time, but Allison, <laughs> it's been it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Lynette. I appreciate your time. Now, I'm sure our listeners would love to connect with you further. How can they do that? Oh, yes. I love connection. Um, all right. So my website is www.mcearts.com. My Twitter handle is mcearts. Uh, my Instagram handle is also mcearts. Um, and you can find me and or connect to me in any of those platforms. My email address, I believe, is on my website. So if you want to send me an email, you can do that. Um, but yeah, I'm always open to connecting with people. Wonderful. Now you know how to find Allison in the D.C. area. So connect away. Thanks a lot, Lynette. <laughs>